You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Well, it's not Richard today. It's uh, Paul Roberts. The uh, Normally, I'm the silent engineer for the show, but today I have to fill in Rick. Poor Rick has been traveling around the world, and he's sick. He gave, took so many flights, he got sick. So uh, he'll be back next week with his regularly scheduled show and his insights into what's happening in the world of business. But today, you'll have to suffer through uh, through my uh, attempt to uh, to fill his shoes here today. For those of you who have not listened to the show before critical mass is all about learning from others rick runs ceo peer groups here in orange county and believes that there is power in learning from the experiences of others so that's the whole reason he does this show to uh, find out what people are doing here in orange county information he can take back to his groups and at the same time share with his audience and the whole community he's built here uh, through his events and radio show and all the other things he's doing so We've got an author with us today, Dan Rust, who wrote a book, which I think the title is just so clever. It says it all, Workplace Poker. And according to him, it's all about how to play the game under the game. Welcome to Critical Mass, Dan. Hey, Paul. Nice to talk to you. What, is, what do you mean by that? How do you play the game under the game? Well, I think that many people, they begin their, their adult working life with either a, 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 an implied assumption or sometimes they're, they're overtly told that if all you do is you work hard, you, uh, you, you're talented, um, you, you continue to improve your skills. Yes, I hear this all the time. I just work really hard and keep, and keep my nose down to the yeah. grind wheel, and every, somebody's going to notice someday and come pat me on the ward and give me a big Your time promotion. will come, yes. yes. And, and, if, and whenever, whenever I say that, you, you, people start to roll their eyes and cringe and say, yeah, I know. Uh, the reality is it happens for some people. It does. Yeah. And, or, or some people are fine with kind of the, um, the, the slow, gentle career trajectory where you, you put in your time. But many of us are ambitious. We want to do as much as we possibly can with our lives. And because I've been in corporate training and development for, for, for decades, I've had hundreds of conversations with people who were frustrated because the, their career wasn't accelerating as rapidly as they felt it should or felt they were capable of, but they couldn't crack the code of, of, of what they were missing. And almost every time as we really explored what was missing, it was this game under the game, I guess I call it, where yeah. where there were it, it was it's more than people skills, it's more than uh, emotional intelligence, it's more than soft skills. There's a there's a career strategy that you see mm. that some people employ that does help them accelerate their their careers, but they don't talk a lot about it. One of the things that I think is probably part of the strategy for uh, people who are doing this effectively is they don't necessarily share this information broadly because, well, that that might get in the way of, of their career progress. Yeah, you don't have to show everybody all the cards you're holding here. Huh? Well, yeah, particularly if there are other people you're working with who might be competitors for the next promotion or might be competitors for when it comes to performance reviews. Most companies have a limited amount of dollars you know, they give for you know, annual pay increases and, and bonuses. And no one will ever say it, 
But in reality, there is a competition for those dollars. And so, of course, if I've got a few things I'm doing really well that are working for me, I may not. Uh, Share those with everybody. Yeah, yeah. right. Well, uh, you, you've hit on a couple of things here. We could talk about this a lot because I think this is a fascinating topic. And it, let's start with the fact I think there's a generation, has been a generational shift. I'm in my 60s now. My late father, who died a few years ago in his 90s, he worked for one company, Chrysler Corporation, for 40 years, for his whole life. Started off in the assembly line, became a vice president, you know, that kind of story. And he really believed in that, that if you worked hard, the company will take care of you for life. Uh, and that was the promise. And you didn't jump jobs. And you, you know, you you didn't go out and push to get promoted. You just did a really good job. And some mentor above you would they would promote within. General Electric had that reputation for years uh, that they promoted people from within. I don't see it work that way anymore. No, and it, and that that began to shift probably 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And luckily for your father, you know, he was already on a track. Yes, um, right. And, and with a company where he managed to, to, to work his way through that. But, but you can go back to really the 70s, and that's where it started to change. Mm-hmm. And then with each passing decade, um, because, because the global economy made business uh, more challenging, it made growth more challenging, and because of the, the, the shifts of generations and all, all kinds of changes. And companies merged, or they went out of business. Yeah. 100-year companies, Montgomery Wars, for Pete's sake, went out of business. Uh, Oldsmobile, one of the first car brands ever built, went out of business. You know, it, there wasn't, the companies themselves weren't stable, as, as we thought. And, and the other, actually, and, and, we are all today mercenaries. That's Desert. what I was going to get at. Yeah, I heard somebody... Tell us that or not, yes. I heard somebody say that you have to think of yourself as a freelancer, even if you're self-employed, even if you're working for somebody else. Without a doubt. And now, now that's not to say if you if you want you know to get in with a stable company, and again, if you're comfortable with that slow progression of... But even then, I can't tell you the number of people... Who, who, who thought they were on that slow progress track, they thought it was stable, they thought they were safe, and they get a knock on the door one morning from Human Resources with the security guard carrying yes. a box behind them yeah, saying, uh, you know what, sorry, but, but something's changing, yes. and we're going to have to send you on your way. And those people really get stuck because they've been in the mindset of stability for whatever period of time, yeah. they are totally shell-shocked when they have to go home and suddenly start looking for a job. Or answer to themselves, what went wrong? Yeah. What did I do wrong? Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. They just downgraded. or made... And here's another, and I'm going to show my bias here, so you tell me if this is real or not. Uh, my wife works in banking. She's been with 14 different banks as they merge and get sold and bought and remerged again here. And she says that if you wait for that golden opportunity within the if you wait for somebody to discover you and promote you it's a long wait because quite frankly they'd rather if you're doing a good job they'd rather keep her where you're at otherwise they got to replace you and find somebody else let's just keep that person there they're doing a good job rather than say they're doing a good job let's reward them no heck let's keep keep them there and we don't have to fill that slot and she says the way if you again this is her opinion and i kind of believe it that if you really want to go out and advance your career Many times you've got to just go out to some other company because they value outside talent sometimes more than they value inside talent. Is that what, real? Or? 
what I love about you sharing that is it's one of those dirty little secrets that they won't tell you. Yeah, right. uh, and and sometimes they're not even really conscious of it. But they they they, they, they the, the big they convince themselves that you're not the right fit because they like you where you are, yeah. and they're looking for someone who, who's different. And you you may almost feel like. Um, Oh, remember Dustin Hoffman in the movie Tootsie, where at the <laughs> opening he's he's trying to get the, the the big break, and and he tells him, "I can be taller, I can be shorter, I can be this, I can be that." I can be anything and you want me to be, including a woman. It turns out, yes. they just say, "All we're looking for is different." Yes, and and so yes, your I think your wife is exactly right, and one of the smartest things I I heard from the one of the people I was interviewing for the book was uh, he said even. At his stages in his career where he felt the most secure, he still was interviewing at least one or two times a year wow. where he, he always had his, his, his foot in the water a little bit. Yeah. He said, I'm not, he wasn't, and, and so what that did for him is by interviewing a couple times a year, that meant his resume was always up to date. It Makes meant sense. Yeah. He, he was practicing those skills. And also able to tap into his real value in the marketplace because he knew what people were offering him when, when, when he would get a job offer. And he didn't, he didn't take every job offer. In fact, most of them he didn't take. But it let him understand. And he said sometimes the hard truth was he'd be interviewing and would get job offers and, and come to a realization that, in fact, he was being very well compensated where he was mm -hmm. and where he was was the right place. But when the time finally came where he did move on, he just had a much better skill set than the person who just was nose down, do the job, and hope things work out. Makes so much sense to me, and I think it's a big shock to most people who haven't been through corporate structures. Uh, I know Rick, who normally hosts this show, is a huge baseball fan, so I'll use the freelance or the um, you know, what do they call it, a free agent, uh, where you go out and just test the waters. You may, maybe you don't want to leave the team, but it finds out what you're worth and what, what people are buying out there. Absolutely. And, and people should do that in their own careers. All right, well, we're going to come back with some more tips. We've got to take a quick break. We'll come back and pay some bills, and we'll come back and have you give us some more insights and tips from this new book, Workplace Poker. We'll be, right, we'll be right back. Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. All right, we're back with author 
Dan Rust, author of the new uh, bestseller, Workplace Poker. Are you playing the game or just getting played? That says it all. How did you come to write this? Before you give us some tips and stuff, give us some background. How did you get the inspiration to do this? Well, I think one of the important things to understand about me is I, I am basically a working guy, and I've been a working guy for over three decades. Um, in my college years, I sold vacuum cleaners in home to to make money. Oh wow, that's that's hardcore sales. That's door to door. Nothing since has ever matched it in terms of just the, the mental difficulty. Yeah. But, um, but I, I uh, was served in the U.S. Navy as a nuclear engineer on a nuclear submarine. So I was in the Navy for six years. I got out of the Navy, uh, went into corporate training and development, first as a, uh, a compliance and a technology trainer, and then evolved into a soft skills trainer. And for my entire career, I have been a working guy. Now, I started maybe 20 years ago writing and speaking a little bit on, on career-related topics, but I never really wanted to just be a speaker or a trainer or be one of those guys who's on the road right. You know, most of the time. I, With I your like seminar and your speaking tour and all that. Yeah. I So I eat my own dog food, so to speak. <laughs> I, I get performance reviews like everybody else. I've been fired. Uh, I've... I've had good, really good bosses, and I've had horrible bosses, uh, and and one, one absolute evil one. I mean, so I I I live in that world. I think we I think we work for the same boss. I'm sure we serve that same <laughs> evil no, boss. Mine's Dwayne, and he knows who he is. <laughs> Dwayne, you know who you are. Come on. Um, but the, when I began thinking about writing a book, and when Harper Collins was talking to me about about writing a book. Uh, what I really was committed to was something that would be real world, not theoretical at all, yes. and something that would be kind of snappy and funny and and would reflect what I think truly can help people who want to accelerate their careers. And and so we we wrote the book, and phase one of writing it was just interviewing a ton of people who I knew either had had very accelerated careers and trying to peel the layers away and figure out and tap into what caused that. Right. And what would sometimes happen is I, I'd interview someone who I really admired their career path, and as we really got into it, what I discovered was that they had some particular advantage, that it wasn't a great strategy, it was family connections. Mm. And and that's not bad. I don't, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. Because I think that's generally one of the assumptions people think, oh, well, he you know, kiss somebody's butt, or he really became the, uh, attached, that somebody really took yeah. a liking to them and mentored them and whatever it was. Somehow somebody above you latched onto you and pulled you up the ladder. So in some cases, I would set that story aside if I felt like this, there wasn't anything duplicatable there. Yeah, right. uh, and, and, but then in other cases, when you've got someone for, who has really worked to get those mentoring relationships, who has earned them, then then there's something there, something that you you can you, know, you can you know, mimic, yeah, you can do yourself, right? Well, as those as those stories accumulated um, and a, kind of a model for the book began to began to form, I was trying to figure out a way to make it somewhat entertaining and interesting, not just a, you know a, a series of to dos. Right. And it took a while, but but o- over the course of of many months. We ultimately landed on the metaphor of, of, of poker mm-hmm. because what I 
even people who don't really play poker understand what the game is. Absolutely. And it's so poker is a hot thing, particularly with guys these days, has been for a while. Yeah. It's all over television and whatnot, and, and it sort of summarizes. So so why the game analogy? Why, why, why did that fit? Uh, is it because it is a giant game and we need to learn to play it? Or is that just an easier way to, to structure your metaphor here? I think mostly because it's a game that goes on and is played every single day under the surface. But most people either choose not to play or they avoid it or they think it's distasteful. Yes, right. When, when, you, when you say office politics, they cringe. That was my father. He hated the whole idea of a game. He said I, he believed he did a very good job. And that was that would lead to reward, and it did pretty much in his career. Although towards the end, as he got older, he got slapped down a couple times pretty hard, and and other things happened that, that caught him unaware. He he didn't expect those things to happen. And and those guys, mostly guys, you know, occasionally ladies, but mostly guys of that generation, they get shell shocked when when it happens, you know, in, in the in the later stage of their career because they have really no foundation for understanding or, or expecting it. But what I tell people, and what I was committed to in the book was to have a, a positive way of playing the game, a way that would feel good and not feel like, because this book, when you read through it, it's not um, like Donald Trumpian in terms Yeah, right. This isn't Machiavelli and no. how to uh, you know, trick it, people or something. Yeah. In, in fact, I had one business owner say to me, he said, you know, I could give this to everyone in my business and feel good about it because every one of the strategies is a, is a positive ethical strategy. And he said it actually could be kind of subversive because you approach personal responsibility from the standpoint of their careers and helping them. But I need them to approach it from the standpoint of helping me and my business. And, and then he went through a whole, a whole list of the skills that we lay out. And he said, you know, you because of the perspective you come from, they're they're adopting those skills for their own purposes, but it's going to ultimately serve my business really, really well. All right. Well, we got about five minutes left here. I'm, I'm just going to try and cut to the chase here and sure. give us some tips here. Give us four or five tips that uh, from the book. Give us some ide- ideas of what you're suggesting. Okay. Uh, so I would say, so point number one, if you if you say to yourself, all right, I want to get better at this, and, and I, then... The, I'm willing to play the game, and how do I do it? Right. So the first, the first thing, and it is the hardest, but the first thing is you have to step back and remove judgment of other people from your mindset. Mm. That's not to say you can't be discerning and can't recognize you know, who the jerks are and, and who, who's, who works well with you and who doesn't. But what a lot of people do is they get caught up in the judgment of other people, and because of that, they can't truly read them effectively. So what I tell people in the book is I, I walk through a process that lets you set aside your judgment, and, and then you begin to see people for who they really are and observe the game under the surface, the surface that's being played. Hmm. And by setting aside judgment, I also mean setting aside positive judgment. You can't read people effectively if you're too impressed by them mm-hmm. or if you're too worried about them or if you're too paranoid about them. Or if you just so, dislike them, their personality or who yeah. they are. You have to get yourself almost into um, what I call the, 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 the Jane Goodall mindset where mm-hmm. you know, she was the observer of chimps back in the 70s. And yeah. She could observe horrendous behavior, uh, chimps killing each other, chimps doing all kinds of things. 
and she simply noted it in her in her book regarding you know what what they did, and it was amazing uh, what, to to see that obje objectivity. And so that's step number one uh, or tip number one. It's almost like you're observing one. the organization from the outside. You're not taking a personal emotional stake Absolutely. in this. Absolutely, right. Even even when the arrows come your way, rather than feel wronged. Just feel curious. So, so yeah. why did that happen? Or now it's interesting. Why would he throw me under the bus that way? Yeah. What's what's really going on? Um, and, it, and if you can if you can get your your head around that, I I just can't I can't explain how that increases your ability to to hold to read the room to read the business. And then I would also say, don't be what I call a Velcro butterfly. It's tip number two. A Velcro I mean, butterfly, okay. What I mean by that is, from an, from an emotional standpoint, every one of us gets wronged at work. Oh, yeah. Business. And you know there are some people who take every slight and every wrong, and it sticks to them like Velcro. Hmm. And they hold on to it. And and over the years, you, you, I, I have one friend. Man, he's a, he's a good friend. But I, I've, I've learned not to bring up certain names and certain companies and certain situations because it's like pressing the, the play button. I know the stories that he's going to recount over yeah. and over again. And he's just collected up these wrongs over the years. And I've said to him, you until you let that stuff go, you're just not freeing yourself up to, to attack your career the way you really need to attack your career. And there is no, uh, they think there's some ultimate umpire that's going to settle the score, that's going to yeah. even it up, you know. I'm keeping this ledger, and somebody someday is going to say, oh, my goodness, look at all the bad things that happened here. You go right to the head of the class. You know, if, if, if the truth is we all get wronged. And and sometimes we know it, and sometimes we don't. So it's it's happening to everybody, and uh, and I'm not saying it makes it right. I'm just saying if you're focused on career acceleration, there's a certain mindset to adopt around about what you've been about. Well, again, like the baseball player analogy, if you're going to focus on the last bad call here, you're never going to move on with the game here. Right. Um, I know we're short on time. I'll yeah. give you a quick couple of quick tips on self-promotion in the workplace because it's another area where people cringe a little bit and say, "I don't want to toot my own horn," and I don't. I, I feel weird. About yeah, we hear that a lot. Um, so when it comes to performance reviews, you know, most people take a relatively passive approach to their annual performance review, and what I recommend is that instead you create a strategy around it. And one of the one of the ways to create a strategy is as you lay out. The, the, the tasks or the projects or the things you're responsible for over the course of, of, a, of a year, early in the year, think about what's going to be going on in, in the last quarter, and are there any particular projects or assignments or tasks that, you, that, that aren't time-sensitive early in the year where you could kind of choose to plan to do that task or mm -hmm. that assignment in the fourth quarter and find a task that's kind of high-profile that you know you can do well, and you know you can do it in a way that other people can't, and and latch onto that in the fourth quarter, so that by the time you get to December or January, you've finished up something that has a, a kind of a high profile that has some 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 importance to shows what you can do, yeah. Because if you're getting into a January review of the last year and you're trying to remind your your manager what you did in February or March of the right. year before. You certainly can. I mean, you can list the things that you've done, but it just changes the game if you, if your manager just comes off of, yeah, last month he finished the XYZ assignment, and, man, that worked out really well. Yeah, and makes you sense. Can, 
you can create a strategy that, that sets the timing up so that it works for you. Um, and I, I, everyone that I talked to about that particular approach has been able to think through at least a couple of things that they could plan to do in, in that last quarter. So many good ideas contained in the book here. We could go on and on, but if they want to pick up a copy, how do they get one? Available everywhere good books are sold, including online and all the bookstores. Workplace Poker, or you can go to WorkplacePoker.com and, and get more details on the book and exposed to, to more ideas. Are you ever out doing book signings or anything in support of this? Or? Uh, signings, not so much, but plenty of, of online promotions and lots of radio shows like, like, like this one. Yeah. And you know, anyone's welcome to, to reach out to me on, on LinkedIn or Twitter. If they just have a simple question or something they want me to address, I'm, I'm happy to do that. All right. Give us the website one more time. Uh, WorkplacePoker.com. And from there, I've got all my links to various social media. So if you go there, WorkplacePoker.com, you can always find your way to me. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to this book and to future editions as you probably document the success people had playing this game, right? We're going to hear about the winners. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for, thanks for calling in today here. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today. We want to welcome all of you who uh, are listening for the first time. Hope you'll come back again when Rick takes over the show next week and writes the ship and gets it back on course and uh, delves even deeper into some of the insights that he's able to pull out of these people. It's really fascinating as he listens each and every week to people tell their stories and just ask like we all did, how did you do it? Uh, what obstacles did you have? What what uh, what was your success? What's your guiding principle? What keeps you going? Those are the things that Rick uh, focuses on each and every week and why people have been listening to the show for so many years. So get well, Rick. Come on back real soon. And uh, we look forward to uh, who you're going to interview next week. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs, who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. 